Good morning. We are so happy for you to be here uh, with us today. I want to begin with a very uh, challenging question. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen uh, to good people? Experience and scripture reveal to us that that certainly is something that happens uh, frequently. And perhaps each and every one of us have or, or will uh, ask this question, why is it? Why does God allow uh, bad things to happen to, to good people? And there are many responses that have been suggested. In fact, I remember a book that was written several years ago by a Jewish rabbi, Harold Kushner. Uh, he and his wife lost a child, uh, a young child, because of a disease. And that caused them to, to ask this question and to seek out answers. And, and he wrote a book to, to that effect, When Bad Things Happen uh, to Good People. And I don't uh, agree with his conclusion, but I appreciate the fact that he wrestled with this and sought uh, for a biblical answer from his perspective. But it's a, it's a challenging question. It challenges us intellectually. It challenges us emotionally. It challenges us spiritually. And perhaps no answer, definitive answer, could be given because we, we're not God and we can't answer that question fully. But perhaps no answer that a human could give could really give the comfort that people who are good people who are going through challenging times uh, that could completely satisfy them. However, I want us to look at a text together uh, this morning, and that's in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And in this section of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians who are suffering. And so he seeks to give Christians a perspective on, on suffering and God and, and how we're to face and even endure this, this suffering. So I ask for you to consider this text as we as we explore this challenging question, and we may not give an answer as to why bad things happen to good people, but we may, with God's help, find an answer to how do we face suffering? How do we face challenging times when we encounter them? I want to begin in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, and first of all, we'll see a contrast, a contrast that the Apostle Paul makes. Notice with me. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You'll see in this text readily two words, suffering, but then glory. And the apostle, by inspiration, is inviting us to, to compare those two things. The sufferings that we endure in this present time with the glory which shall be revealed in us. To whom is Paul writing? Who is the us here? It is Christians. So he's acknowledging the fact that Christians, even Christians, it's not just what, why do bad things happen to good people. The que another question is why do bad things happen to God's people? And he's acknowledging in this text that here are Christians that are receiving this, this epistle and, and they're suffering and and so they're going through the same challenges that we go through. And so he's inviting us to compare these things. 
the sufferings that we go through in the present time with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he uses the word compared, but really there is no comparison. This isn't a comparison, the Apostle Paul is saying. It's more of a contrast. He made, uh, he made it a matter of simple arithmetic. He says, add up all the sufferings that, that we go through in this life and you compare it to the glory which shall be revealed in us and there, there is no comparison. The glory which shall be revealed in us is, is, what the, is what the Christian has the hope for. It includes the redemption of our bodies. It, it includes eternal life in heaven. All that is wrapped up in in this idea of glory, which shall be revealed in us. So between the grace and the glory, Paul says there is suffering, even for God's people. Between the grace, that is when we first appropriate the grace of God, when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, when His blood washes away our sins in baptism, and then as we continue to walk in the light, His blood continues to wash us from our sins and we continue to be covered in God's grace. Between the grace, when we first access that grace through our obedient faith, until glory, which will begin when Jesus returns, between those two, Paul is acknowledging there is suffering. So the implication is that suffering, this suffering in the present time, is simply part of our existence on the planet. And we know that. We know that because we experience it. But watch what Paul is saying here. Yet the suffering we experience in this lifetime is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He's, he's inviting us to take the long look. And that's hard to do when you're in the present suffering. Granted. But he's inviting us to take the long look. And he's saying he's not dismissing the fact that this suffering is difficult, that it's hard, that it's, that it's even harder to explain why it's happening. But he said it's, it's terrible, it's awful, but compared with the glory which awaits the child of God, there is no comparison. In the next section, we find a connection a connection. And watch, watch the connection that, that Paul makes. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Let's take the last part first. The revealing of the sons of God has to do with when, when Jesus comes back and, and our bodies are changed. We, we take on a spiritual body that's not subject to death and decay. And we become like Jesus. And that's when quote, the sons of God are revealed. But Paul is saying the creation has this earnest, earnest expectation waiting for that to happen. What is the creation? For my studies, I believe the creation refers to the material universe. And that's the connection that he's making. The material universe, in a sense, is eagerly awaiting the time when the sons of God are revealed. That is, that they're changed, that they, they begin to inherit the glory that God wants them to have. There's this anxious longing, even in this material 
universe. And personification is being used here because we're speaking of material universe as if it were a person. That even in nature, Paul seems to be saying, there's this longing for something better that will occur when the sons of God are revealed. Let's keep reading verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. It was God who subjected the created world to futility. I think a simple way of understanding this is the Garden of Eden was a paradise. Man and woman sinned, so they were kicked out of the garden into the world that, where they would have to work by the toil, in the toil, by the sweat of their brow, that, that the soil would be filled not with, what, not with fruit trees galore, but with thorns and thistles. The world, no revelation to you, is not a Garden of Eden. That's what Paul is saying. But the material universe is, is longing for this time, wanting to be delivered from this bondage of, of corruption. And the idea is that the old heaven and earth in which we live is longing to become a new heaven and a new earth, a spiritual habitation for the people of God. So the connection is even creation, material universe, is longing. Look at verse 22 with me. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The whole creation. I like this quote by David Roper. The depiction of the earth groaning brings to mind the rumble of an earthquake, the roar of a tornado or hurricane, the crackle of a forest fire, and the thunder of crashing waves. What comes to my mind is when those fierce winds are blowing and we hear the tree, the trees cracking under that pressure of the wind. And, and there's this, to me, it could be easily depicted as, as a groaning of the universe. And that depicts this a component of our material universe that these things are a reality. We see it in nature. Interestingly, Paul, by inspiration, describes this, this suffering, this groaning. He relates it to laboring with birth pangs. Laboring with birth pangs. I want to be very respectful of our mothers in the audience. There is a verse that, that I uh, learned many years ago before we had children. And before we had our first child, I believe it was that time, I shared this verse with Patrice. Mind you, before she went into labor. Because even I know, I don't even share this verse with someone who's in labor. Here's what the verse says. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And I've had mother after mother affirm the truth of that verse. That, that those labor pains are horrific. But when that child is born, they don't remember how bad it was 
because of the joy of a human being, a baby boy or girl being born into the world. And I think that Paul's point is this. That woman, when she's in labor, it's intense, it's hard, it's intense suffering. Husbands have to be on their best behavior at that time. But that pain is headed towards something. And it's headed toward a tremendous blessing. The pain is terrible, but it's moving toward a, a, an objective and it's, and it's new life. And so in Paul's figure, the groaning and pain of the old heaven and earth provide evidence of a better day ahead, the day of the new heaven and the new earth, spiritual habitation. But the connection is between the material universe and our experience. And see that in verse 23. Not only that, but we also, we Christians... We also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And I believe some people like Tucker call me old already. Yes, Tucker, I acknowledge that publicly. <laughs> but the older we get, the more we groan. Uh-oh, even had an amen on that one. We can relate to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 is a great companion passage. For indeed, in this tent, in this physical body, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Our bodies are like houses falling apart. And we groan, we long for this new body, this spiritual body that's been assured that we'll, be, we'll receive when Jesus comes again. And we eagerly wait for that adoption, for the redemption of our body. Ben Franklin, in one of his lighter moments, wrote an epitaph for himself. And this is what he wrote. The body of Ben Franklin, printer, is like the cover of an old book. Its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies in this grave food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. Don't you love it? And that's the hope of a child of God. And we long, we groan, we long for that, for that new body that's not subject to pain, that's not subject to disease, that's not subject to death. So like the creation groans for a, a new day, we groan for a new body and all the blessings that, that God has in store. But here's an application. Between the grace and the glory, there is suffering. But here's a loud message. This suffering is temporary. It's temporary. There's a better day coming. The Christian viewpoint on suffering is, yes, it's bad, but it's not going to last forever. Yes, it's terrible, but it isn't the final story. This isn't the last chapter of our lives. We suffer, but God has ordained that our suffering is temporary. That may be hard to see when we're suffering, 
But that's the authority of God's word. We have, it's only going to last for a certain amount of time. And that leads us to a conviction in verses 24 and 25. For we, Christians, were saved in this hope, but hope that is, that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if, hope, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We're saved in this hope, Paul says. We're saved in view of this hope that we have because of Jesus, that this life is not all that there is. The pain of this life is temporary, that there's something far better that awaits. The blazing truth, one writer says, that lit life for Paul was that the human situation is not hopeless. And when we're going through it, that's what we need. We need hope. Hope that this isn't going to last forever. Hope that we can endure it. And that's exactly the conviction that we can have. And biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's, it's desire plus expectation. I'll remind you of that again. It's something we long for and we expect. Why? Because God has promised it. Because God has promised it. When God makes a promise, faith believes it, hope expects it, and perseverance waits for it. Notice two words in verses 24 and 25. Hope and perseverance. Through our suffering, God wants to develop these two qualities in our lives. Hope and perseverance. I like this definition of hope. Hope is that settled conviction, that settled confidence that looks to the future knowing that God will someday keep all of his promises. And here's a definition for some Bibles have the word patience, but the idea is perseverance. And here's a definition for that. Perseverance is the ability to endure present hardship because you have hope in the future. That's one reason why God allows us to suffer in this present time. To build in us these two qualities. Hope, to know what that really means and perseverance and hope enables us to persevere so between the grace and the glory there is suffering but it's temporary and there is hope for something far better and that hope enables us to to endure so i will affirm with you again our bodies wear out they sag, they expand, they wrinkle, the joints get creaky, the arteries harden, the heart slows down, the eyes grow dim. No, I'm not speaking of anyone in particular today, just generally. The teeth fall out, the back is stooped, the arms grow weary. But there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will give his children brand new bodies. Until then, we live in hope. Waiting patiently, persevering, waiting for that coming day. This statement struck me when I read it. That perspective explains so much that happens to us. God is weaning you away from putting your hope in the things of this world so that your hope will be in Him alone. Have you thought about that? 
Perhaps God allows good people, even his own people, to suffer, to wean us from the things of this world so that we recognize this world is not what God has eternally in mind for us. And the only thing that can truly wean us away from this world is to realize this world does not have what we're looking for. A man who was often seen reading his Bible was asked what message he got from the book. He smiled and said just this, the worst things are never the last things. What a glorious understanding of the scriptures. The worst things that we experience in this life are not the last things. And so we have this comfort in verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Have you been there? I know many of you have. Have you been in that situation where you didn't know what to pray for? You didn't know what words to use. And perhaps all you could say was, oh God, help me. Many of you have been there. And it's likely we'll all be there. We don't know exactly what to pray for. We're just asking God, help, help us. And here's the help, some of the help that God provides that His Spirit makes intercessions for us. When we don't know for what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit intercedes. He pleads on our behalf. It's like He takes the contents of our hearts and He delivers it up to the Heavenly Father in language that we don't know how to say it, but the Spirit knows how to communicate it. Something that the Spirit does for us. And that word help is very interesting. It means to come to the aid of someone in desperate need. You're in the stands watching a, a race. One writer illustrates it. And you see a runner faltering in the fin final turn. He stumbles and is about to fall. And seeing that, he's not going to make it. You run from the stands, come to his side. And you say to him, brother, I see you aren't, you aren't going to make it. Let me help you to the finish line. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He sees when we are in trouble. He comes to our aid. He helps us. He makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's the will of God, that the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't have the words and we don't have the strength. So between the grace and the glory, there is weakness. Suffering reveals our weakness. But it also reveals to us where we find our strength. 
And that's not in ourselves. Our strength is in God. The Apostle Paul prayed fervently three times that this thorn in the flesh, that God would remove it from him. Fervently, just like Jesus prayed in the garden three times, the Apostle Paul prays three times, deliver this thorn from me. Do you remember the Lord's answer? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So watch Paul's response. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, if, it's, if that's the way that I tap into your power, then let me be infirmed. Don't take it from me that I may learn to rely on you more fully. So Paul is acknowledging suffering is a reality in this world, in this present time. But he's, he's trying to help us understand perhaps not the answer to the question of why, but maybe how. How we endure uh, the sufferings of this present time. So what do you say when bad things happen to good people? What do you say to God's people when when they're encountering difficulties. There's an old song of which I've been familiar for, for many years, but I don't think I really understood the profound meaning of the, of the lyrics of this song until this past week. The song is entitled, Be Still My, My Soul. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through many, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful, a joyful end. Those words by Katharina von Schlegel, I think are profound. And they coincide so beautifully with the message of, of the Apostle Paul writing to suffering saints. Be still, my so, the Lord is on thy side. And this is the hope, this is the assurance of the child of God. It's only as a child of God that we can face uh, the difficulties of this life in this way. These assurances are only for, for, for God's children. And the wonderful news is, he wants every person in this room, every person in this world... To be a child of his. To know these blessings. To know that even though we may suffer in this life. That there is something far better that he has in store. And not only that. Just that hope of something far better. Enables us to endure whatever this life 
throws our way. But we first must surrender our lives to Him to become His child. That opportunity is open even this morning. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died for you, if you'll turn from sin as a way of life to turning to follow Jesus as a way of life, that's what the Bible calls repentance. If you'll confess His name, that He is the Son of God, you can be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away, become a child of God, and know that grace which not only washes away our sins, but enables us to live the Christian life until the glory comes. But make no mistake, between the grace and the glory, there may be suffering. There may be intense suffering. But the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the hope. That's the hope that sustains us even today. And I hope that's the hope that if we wandered away from God, that we will come back so we can reclaim that hope that's found in Jesus. And if that's the desire of your heart, if you need the prayers of the church, we're going to pray. And if we don't know what to pray, the Spirit will intercede on our behalf. But we'd love to pray with you and for you. And won't you come as together we stand and sing.